Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bavarian Cane Works. This is I Need No Cane, and I am joined by Schnitzel09. Thank you for listening to us today, and we have a lot of cane talk on offer. So, Schnitzel, how do you feel about another week of cane transfer rumors? Because that seems to be the only thing that we have been talking about for a very long time. Yeah, this one's uh, been going on for quite some time now, and there's a lot of optimism, obviously, and a lot of fans, including yourself and me, I think, want a true striker desperately at Bayern, a proper number nine. And uh, I really hope that this doesn't take too long because I'd like to see you know him play for Bayern before the season begins. Yeah, I'd also like to see him play for Bayern before the anxiety kills me, but... <laughs> Well, the thing is, we have had more news about Harry Kane in the last week or so. The main thing being that finally Angie Postecoglou, or however you say his name, he has admitted that he is not very relaxed about the situation, which I think is a pretty big turn in terms of how Spurs seem to view the Kane transfer itself. I think they are starting to realize that, yes, Kane could leave this summer and to buy Munich itself. And on top of that, we had the rumors from Bild that Kane's wife, Katie, or Kate, was in Munich to look for a house and to look for schools for her children, which is a very important piece of news, but also something that we need to take with a grain of salt because it is Bild we're talking about here. And they, well, their their journalistic standards are basically in the gutter lately, given what we've seen. But Schnitzel, you tell me, because you're the one who wrote this for our website, what is going on with the contract that Kane has been offered? What is What are the numbers that we're talking about here? Because I think that's the one side that we have not discussed yet. Yeah, so I think uh, going by what was reported earlier by uh, Tobias Alscheffel and uh, Christian Falk, and I think you can trust uh, Tobias. Uh, he's pretty pretty good reporter, and uh, Falk has not been up to, up to standards lately, as you might agree especially wow. in uh, recent windows. And he always uh, stat pads by, you know, kind of tapping in the rumors and updates from other journalists. So I think we could just take whatever he says with a, with a pinch of salt and uh, listen to other more uh, reliable journalists like uh, Tobias himself. And in this case, Bayern are willing to offer the player uh, a four to five year contract. And that's that's a major, major, I think, a piece of news because... Each year uh, could make the player around 20 million euros gross, as reported. And that would mean upwards of a 100 million figure over a period of five years. And the contract is uh, rumored to run till 2028. And discussions are going on with Kane's brother, who also happens to be his agent. And I think from Kane's perspective, this is a really good deal because you are insured a starting spot for five years at one of the best clubs in the world and you're getting a massive payday for what could be your last bumper contract and it is definitely also a great chance for him to win a lot of trophies so i think uh in terms of personal terms and in terms of convincing kane's contingent uh this is as good as it gets well this is not the first time you've seen Bayern offer such outlandish terms for someone coming into the club but i'm just wondering if this is the right move because you look at Ken, he is almost 30. In fact, he turns 30 in just a few days. So offering a 30-year-old a five-year contract that will keep him at this club till he's 35, it's a little bit strange to me, given that just a few years ago, we were so reluctant to offer Robert Lewandowski a similar contract that would have kept him here till he was, well, 35. Right. It's just wondering 
are we throwing money at a problem that never should have existed in the first place? And on top of that, the 20 million a year, I'm not doubting that Harry Kane is worth that much when he is 30 years old. But when he is 35, you know, is it at that age, is that going to be the amount that we are on the hook for, for a year of his contract? Because I was hoping that we would get some kind of contract deal where we could essentially sell him back to the EPL in around three or four years time for a solid profit, um, not a profit actually, so for a solid amount, something like 50 million euros or something, you know? And if his contract yeah. really does pay him 20 million a year, I think it's going to be much harder to sell him to a mid-table EPL club unless something yeah, insane happens. Yes. Yeah, I think that... Um, but. Bayern's striker situation, this is a problem of their own uh, doing. We, the, the two of us, I believe, did not want Lewandowski to leave, even mm. if he was, uh, you know, I think I think 33, 30, 34 years old at the time of departure. And I, I, I still felt that he had at least three, four good years in the bag. And he produces a lot for a Barcelona side that is levels below in terms of overall quality and the service he gets. And he obviously does not have Thomas Miller behind him, which is a big factor, you know, in his a drop in production, so to say. But he's still the leading goal scorer in the La Liga, uh, in La Liga, and he's also doing wonderfully, <laughs> I guess, uh, all things considered for Barcelona. So uh, not not a great uh, decision by Bayern, even if we managed to get five, uh, 50 million in the process. And in terms of signing Harry Kane, I think the market for strikers is running a little bit dry at the moment in terms of top quality strikers. So not a lot of options that would just join Bayern and be a bona fide starter from the get-go. You have to also remember that we have Chupa Moting and Matty Tell waiting on the sidelines, ready to pounce on any minutes that they get. So any player needs to justifiably start over those players, right? I mean, how many strikers out there? Don't tell me Niklas Fulkrug, right? Because he is not above you know my opinion. Opinions on Nicholas Fulkrug. I mean, <laughs> look, I I don't he, want. He is so slow. It would be a disaster if Pine were to get exactly. Nicholas Fulkrug. Like I have talked about Fulkrug in the context of the national team, and I back him in the context of Germany. But when it comes to Bayern, we need a better striker, right? And the thing about, exactly. as you said, in the striker market, the state of the striker market is causing Bayern to significantly pay over the odds to secure someone like Harry Kane. On top of the fact that that he is, you know, the an English player and English players don't often tend to leave their own home country to go abroad in search of trophies or you know what. But exactly. Yeah. This would be the first transfer, I in think... fact, of its kind in the Bundesliga, right? Yeah. Because when English I players agree. or British players leave their country or leave their league, it, it often goes to something like Real Madrid or Barcelona, right? It's never Bayern Munich. So it, this would be a genuine I don't know, a, a power shift. And I do you think that it's it's worth the amount that we are putting up? Because as far as I can tell, this might end up being a 200 to even 300 million deal if we think about it in terms of gross outlay by the club. I think the way Bayern plays, we don't even need, you know, a top three in the world striker to be one of the world's best clubs. We just need a striker with a lot of upside and a striker who can contribute to scoring goals and scoring goals regularly. And Kane's not the only one in the market who is capable of doing that. You also have Vlaovic, who I'm a big supporter of. People tell me that he is not great, he is prone to missing chances, and he's a one-dimensional player, but he's doing so much for Juventus. 
And Juventus, yeah. as you have said multiple times in the past, is like a team of 11 trees, right? They don't have oh. mobility and they play really boring football. So he produces decent goals for them. And that means that, you know, with Bayern's creativity and production, he could elevate his game further. And he's just 21 and has a lot of upside. And you also have Rasmus Hoyland from Atalanta, the, the Danish international. And he's he was wanted by United, isn't he? He is, but uh, that doesn't mean Bayern cannot offer him 50 million oh. and secure the deal because... It, I mean, could, it could make United it more expensive, to be fair. Kim Min-jae rejected United for Bayern. I mean, yeah, that's true. So, but Kim Min-jae also had a release clause. Yeah, that's true. But I just think it will be more difficult to secure a player like that when they are already wanted by an EPL club. Like, we don't want to get yeah, involved yeah. in that bidding war, you know? I, I just think you have a good point when you mentioned uh, that the whole deal could end up costing upwards of 200 million. And is that really worth it for a player who is getting into the twilight of his career? I don't know. Time will tell if we end up signing him. But there's no denying that he has a lot of quality. So this season and the next, at least if he joins, he'll definitely make Bayern Champions League contenders in the short run. Well, that's one of the things that we keep saying. But it's technically true that we are already Champions League contenders, aren't we? Because you tell me, are there five teams ahead of us in the Champions League pecking order? I would say no. Um, probably not, but, uh, okay. The teams that I would consider at least on par in quality, if not better. Okay. Manchester City are undeniably better because of Erling Haaland. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid and Real Madrid, I would say can go toe to toe with Bayern in terms of quality, but they did lose Karim Benzema. Benzema, I don't think, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure who's going to step, step up to fill that void and they still haven't signed Mbappe yet. So you know, that is there. And oh, I that, think that's that, an interesting that thing. Them... Have you seen the report that Spurs want Mbappe? Wow, talk about wishful thinking. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, imagine leaving PSG. You might, to you might as well be ambitious, right? Is, yeah, even even fewer chances of winning anything, for that matter. I mean, at least league, ah, yes, it's a tin pot league, but uh, you get a free, a short trophy every season if you're playing you know for PSG. That Spurs and, fans uh, say the same you? about us? Um, have Spurs fans ever seen a Champions League trophy? Yeah, true. I, they've seen it I, on TV when they were in the final, so. remember? <laughs> poor, poor, poor guys. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they also had a lot of dreams that 2019-20 uh, season when they received the famous 7-2 drubbing, you know, from Serge Gnabry and co. I don't oh, think yes. uh, they were going when... to relive those memories again. Yeah. So, I mean, to put it, to put it this way, uh, I would say there are maybe two or three clubs that I can think of right now that can go toe-to-toe with Bayern in terms of quality, not more. But I, I think Bayern is also capable of going out against minnows if, number one, they're not coached properly, which can be a major possibility this season. And number two, we do not have a striker because we know mm-hmm. our finishing woes. They always plague us in the latter rounds of the Champions League. We've struggled to score against Villarreal with Lewandowski. So... It's not like goals will be guaranteed with this team if we do not have an out-and-out striker that is able to score goals. So that is essentially what we are talking about. Like, we are paying for Harry Kane to score those difference-making goals. Now, this is one thing that I have seen Bayern Munich fans kind of ignore, is the fact that Kane has not necessarily scored those goals in his career for Spurs. Now, the question is, is that an effect of playing for a team like Spurs who are the bottlers in, you know, Europe, football, etc. the sport, you know, they are the measure of bottlers. Even Borussia Dortmund can't 
come up to them? Or is this a case of Kane himself not being maybe that kind of clutch guy that we want in the latter rounds of the Champions League? You remember that Robert Lewandowski was often criticized for not turning up in the big stage in the final rounds of the Champions League against big opponents. Now, do you yeah. think that same problem can be attributed to Kane, whether it is I rightfully think, or unrightfully so? I think Lewandowski silenced a majority of his doubters between that stretch uh, that, that lasted two or three seasons, 2019 to 2021, 22, uh, when he basically won everything that you can in club football, broke a bunch of records and also scored some really important goals for Bayern Munich. Like in, for example, the game against Lyon, the third goal in the semifinal. And he also scored uh, a very important goals against Chelsea in the round of 16 and a bunch of other very crucial goals at various stages, like the sole goal against Villarreal uh, just one season ago. So yeah. Um, he, yeah, he will undeniably go down as one of the world's uh, best strikers of all time. And you can say the same about Harry Kane with regards to the Premier League. But overall, I think he needs to win trophies to make him that immortal sort of all-time Premier League striker. So I think Harry Kane also creates for Spurs. That's yes. one thing that he's super underrated for. He flows so freely in that attack. He fits so well because he creates as well as he scores. He can assist, draw space and, you know, create havoc in the box, in the opposition box and be an all-round threat. He's not one dimensional, And he can play really well with his back towards goal, which is something that would be very valuable to Bayern Munich. So I think... When he joins Bayern, this is what I believe, if he joins and when he joins Bayern, he will definitely show the world that he is capable of winning trophies and scoring goals at the highest level. Because I just don't see him not turning up in a Champions League quarterfinal or semifinal with that kind of quality behind him. You know, Imagine Joshua Kimmich getting the ball to him with defense-breaking passes or Thomas Miller creating space for him that he can exploit. That just seems too good to pass up. Yeah, I think I have to agree because it's one of those discussions that gets a little bit overly complex when the simplest fact is that if you put quality on the pitch and then surround them with the commensurate level of talent, they're going to do something, right? If you get the tactics right and the players right, there is no reason that the player himself is going to show up in those big moments and get us the goals. If it doesn't happen, I then there's something you. wrong with the yeah. formation or tactics or something. Yeah, see? I want to remind you that last season, that is the season that just concluded, uh, yeah. Chupa Moting had one of the best goals-to-game ratio stats in all of Europe. Yeah. And it's Chupa Moting. I mean, he's Remove not that bad. Chupa Moting and put Kane in there. No, well, I mean, I mean, I'm talking technically, about levels. Yeah, well, technically. Well, technically. We are not necessarily doing that because... Well, because of Tuchel, right? It was Nagelsmann's system where Chupa Moting was getting all those goals. And now we don't know if Kane... Hmm is going to flourish in whatever system Tuchel has planned, especially because of this particular plan of Tuchel's, which you again wrote about in this past week, which is the <laughs> fact that he's going to yeah. he's going to slowly phase out Thomas Muller. Now, again, Thomas Muller's subject, you know my thoughts. So you tell me what you think about this. Like, first of all, is it possible? And second of all, is it going to work? I was kind of annoyed with the way he phrased it. And I think... The, uh, the reporters quoted him or maybe they added a bit more spice to it. I'm not very sure. But uh, so the way he said it was that he's trying to save face for all sides involved and uh, give a very dignified end to Thomas Miller's career instead of, uh, you know, making him languish 
and uh, insult himself by playing badly on the pitch or something like that. At least that's what I understood. And I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get that idea in my head. Why do you have to worry about one of the most decorated players of all time? Whenever Thomas Miller chooses to retire, whenever he, you know, phases out, he is going to go down as one of the, if not the greatest uh, tens, the greatest attacking midfielders to have ever graced the football pitch. And we know that despite Muller's years, despite his declining pace and other attributes, he doesn't really rely on all of those, and he is still an elite playmaker. Put him on any other squad in Europe, and he is bound to start. I think other than Manchester City, you already have a playmaking 10, Kevin De Bruyne. Every other squad in Europe can use a 10 like Thomas Miller. And that's exactly why he's indispensable. And you've spoken about this time and again. I've written analyses, articles about him. He orders the attack, the midfield, he creates space, blah, 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 a bunch of other stuff. He's crucial to this team. It's not as easy as just easing the player out, as Tuchel said. And do you, do you recall him also saying that uh, Tuchel ball is not Müller ball? Like, how yes, he insane did, does that he did, sound? He did, he did say that yeah. Tuchel ball is not necessarily Müller ball, but Thomas Müller may have exactly. a role in it, which is, well, it, it is it is kind of tempting fate, in my opinion, because it is one of those things where, yeah, perhaps, but if you don't have Müller in your team, I do not think that Tuchel ball is going to go very far, because in the end, you're leaving a very lethal weapon on the bench for and you. And we already have proof of that. I mean, last season, what the went Man City wrong? Games. I mean, the Man City games. Exactly. Oh, man. The man, Tuchel, Tuchel came out and said that he chose pace against yes. Manchester City, so he benched Müller. And what did, what did that end up doing? It costed us a position, a berth in the semifinals of the Champions League. We also crashed out of the DFB Pokal because of his tactics. He mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be learning from all his mistakes, which is the problem I have here. He's not well, learning. Maybe, maybe I mean, he might have learned a little bit, but we'll talk about that later. The thing is that I just I don't get why we have to be talking about this every single year, right? Is Thomas Muller going to be in the lineup? Is Thomas Muller going to have this role? You know that this has been a constant point of debate ever since 2013. It's been going on for a decade now. Is Pep Guardiola going to use Thomas Muller? He may not have a role under him. That was proven wrong. Then came Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti, is he going to find a role for Thomas Muller? He didn't find a role, but then Carlo Ancelotti, he, he was gone. Bye-bye. Then came, what was it? Eupankis. Thomas Muller obviously had a role. Yes. Then Niko Kovac. Niko Kovac. Kovac didn't say anything, but uh, he, he ended up trying to bench Thomas Muller for Hamas, and then he figured out that, yeah, okay, Hamas is clearly not as good, and then he put Thomas Muller back. But then he tried to bench him again next season, and it, it was it was curtains for him. Then Hansi Flick. Hansi Flick, for the, the only coach where there were no questions at all, other than you, where he said, on his first press conference, again, I keep saying this, he said on his first press conference, Thomas Muller will play next game and see what happened. Trouble, sextuple, all the success in the world. Thomas Muller playing out of his mind and by meaning playing the best football I have ever seen, except maybe the 2013 team, which also had Thomas Muller in it, right? And then Flick went and Nagelsmann came. And Nagelsmann, my friend, you like him but I don't. And why? Because he could not leave a bad idea alone. And his two bad ideas were the back three and Thomas Muller not being in the well, lineup. He kept uh, trying those Nagelsmann things. Though, yeah, to, to be, be fair, fair to Nagelsmann him, he though. figured it out in the end against PSG. Exactly. Right. But 
in the but second season. In the second season, man. In the second season, at the very, very end of his tenure, like, like that's a long time to learn the very obvious thing that Bayern Munich plays better with the back four and Thomas Muller. That's it. You're, you're forgetting. You're forgetting that Thomas Muller was injured uh, for a large chunk of the first yeah, half of the second season. In the second half so, of the season. Uh, Remember, we started two games in a row, draw, drew them both with no Thomas Muller in the lineup. And there were also reports, the same reports that we're getting about Tuchel right now, that Nagelsmann wants to ease Thomas Muller out of the lineup. He has been given the authority by the Bayern Munich board, the board that has now been sacked, to bench Thomas Muller if he needs to. Those reports were very much there. It's not nothing new. And now we are seeing it again with Thomas Tuchel, those same reports. And I feel like it is going to end the same way. The same way being, we are going to see Thomas Tuchel get maybe some measure of success with whatever lineup he chooses. But in the end, there is going to be those bumps in the road. Those bumps in the road always show up where we can't score and then we drop points. And then the fan base is going to ask, where is Thomas Muller? And he's going to have to put Thomas Muller back in his setup. And Thomas Muller has literally never disappointed. In his career, he has never disappointed when he's put in the right setup. So I think that it's going to happen. Now, the only question is, is Tuchel going to fall on his sword like guys like Kovac or Ancelotti, or is he going to go like Nagelsmann and reverse course and choose to put Muller in his 11 as he should? And I think that question might actually be a little bit more nuanced than it used to be, at least as of recent games, because I saw the game against Rotak Egern and I what I saw was kind of, well, I'll say that it was interesting in at least. Yeah, I think, uh, okay, so I just saw the highlights of that game. Mm-hmm. So I, so, so from, from my casual observations, it, it wasn't very in-depth. I would say that the structure of the team, the way it started, wasn't uh, what I was expecting and I was pleasantly surprised because it was mm-hmm. a 4 one a very I'm, basic I'm four two three one not, as well. Yeah, he, we didn't we didn't get to see a five man backline. We didn't yep. get to see two uh, inverted uh, fullbacks and three centre backs, and we didn't no, get nothing. to see any of the midfield. Uh, yeah, mess, messing ups and you know changing the positions of the wingers, any of that sort. It was very straightforward, very uh, you know pen and paper, and I liked what I saw. So, but but then again, it was Rota Egan, and honestly, we I could know, field. I know it was Rota Egan, but. If you just yeah. look at the lineup itself, just just the starting eleven, don't you think that eleven is something that Tuchel was planning anyway? But with Thomas Muller in the position of Jamal Muziala and Muziala a little bit further to the left, because the way I see it, and I'll be very honest here, I I genuinely think that if Muller hadn't been injured for that game, he would have started right behind the striker, which is Tell. And Muziala would have started on the left. And why I say this is because Muziala effectively, a lot of the game, he played as a left winger. He was often cutting inside from the left-hand side. And there was a lot of space in the middle that felt like it was going unused. I think that genuinely, Tupo was going to start with a very standard 4-2-3-1, which he slightly changed up in the way he should have, which is, in my opinion, to put Muziala there when Muller is not available. But it gives me hope in the coming season, that we are going to see Muller in those key roles. Now, there is a question here that is Muller going to get as many minutes as he has in previous seasons? And I feel like the answer is kind of no to me, you know, because 
we see him struggling with a long-term hip issue. I think he will get better from this, but it is something to keep in mind. And I think that it's more going to be a question of how Tuchel manages him because we don't necessarily need Thomas Muller to beat a team like, say, for example, Werder Bremen, right? It's not necessary, but we do need a Thomas Muller to beat a team like, say, Manchester City or Real Madrid. So the question will be to have a system that can allow us to not only beat those smaller teams without him, but that also allows us to slot him in against those big teams when we need him and also allow him to preserve his time and preserve his legs. So he's essentially becomes kind of like our secret weapon, which is the type of transition that I would not mind at this stage of his career, you know? I am in agreement. I think that the idea of having Thomas Miller as a game-changing substitution, or maybe not even, a substitution, you know, just when, when just it, sub, just more no. like a guy that sort of plays only the big games. You know, not not always. He's not always playing week in week out. I understand. Yeah. So, like yeah. in case uh, Bayern are lacking goals in a Bundesliga game, he can obviously come in. Come but in. Yeah. When the stakes are high, when it's a knockout fixture like the DFB Pokal or a high if stakes matchup or the something Champions like League, that, yeah, he has to play. He has to yeah, play yeah. from the start. And 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 I and and, and I also want uh, Jamal Muziala to start more as a winger, and yes. I want to see his potential as a winger because. I I feel like he is definitely miles apart from the way Thomas Miller interprets the role of an attacking midfielder, yeah. and he always outdribbles, you know, his way out of sticky situations. But in the middle of the pitch, when it gets cramped up, when there's a lot of players, he tends to lose the ball quite often. And, and I can't help but think if he'd be better suited to a winger role. There is also the factor that Jamal Muziala and Alfonso Davies they have a really how should I say, a really good partnership, right, in the left. So I don't see why we shouldn't be trying to cultivate that by putting Muziala on the left more often. That could be like a ticket to us helping us extend Davies and then extend Muziala later on, which is like a very necessary thing for our future. Remember Ribery and Alaba? Why not have another partnership like that at the club? I hope that Tuchel does it. You know, it's it's one of those simple things that we just hope Tuchel does. I, I believe that Bayern also need to find another creative solution for the AM position in terms of who will take over from Thomas Miller. Is it going to be Muziala or do you do? Are we going I to keep sign saying it, Florian, uh, Florian Wirtz. Florian Wirtz? Yeah, uh, or are I, we going to uh, you know promote Paul Warner to a starting role? Well, Paul Warner seems to be annoying Tuchel a lot, and he's not getting any game time. So I don't know how Paul Weiner is supposed to become that guy for us when he he's basically stagnated in this development. He needs to go out on loan. Mm. Yeah, but Wurtz would be a fantastic signing. Wirtz I think Wurtz is as like expense, for like... As expensive signing. Yeah. Expensive signing, though. But it, and we are talking about... As like for like as it gets. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's. I think that's fair. Okay, uh, let's take a short break here, and we will be back after this very short ad. At least I hope it's short. And when we come back, we are going to talk about <laughs> the recent friendly and the upcoming friendly and also a lot about formations, tactics, etc., etc. So if you're interested in that, please stay tuned. We have a lot left to talk about. Thank you for listening so far. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening for the short break. And we are now going to talk about our upcoming series of friendlies against Manchester City. And I think the next one was against Liverpool, but maybe not that far ahead. First, let's talk about the friendly that has just gone past, which was against FC Rotak Egern. Now, Schnitzel, you said that you did not 
watch the actual game in real time, didn't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah, okay. So I'll just recap for you and anyone else who might have missed it. We did win 27-0, but that doesn't really tell the whole story. I think the most important story here is the lineup and the setup. So the lineup, as we mentioned earlier, was a very standard 4-2-3-1. Now, the players that Tuchel chose, I think, are interesting to note. Kim Min-Jae and Matthias Delict were not available. So because of that, we had Sven Ulreich in goal. No Jan Sommer, so which indicates that he is probably on his way out or he could be on his way out. Then we had... Dad Upamecano at the back, paired with, who was it? I'm not exactly, I can't exactly remember right now. Upamecano was there at least. P- Pavard, yeah, it was Pavard. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That was that was a surprise to me at the time, because Pavard, he's on his way out, but he still does not have any suitors. I think that says something about Pavard's place in the team right now. Then there was the right-back and left-back spots. Very surprisingly, Davies and Matraoui. I genuinely thought that he would start Guerrero at the left-back spot, you know, but he did not, which yep. is a pleasant surprise. In the midfield, we had a dual pivot of Kimmich and Conrad Limer, and they generally played together like they have played that way for years and years and years. Limer especially was very impressive. In attack, we had Matty Tell at the top instead of Chupamoting, which was a very pleasant surprise. I genuinely thought Chupamoting would be there. And you had... Hirasane on the right, as usual, which again, is something that people, a lot of people don't like about him. But I will say that a lot of coaches want him to succeed on the right because there are reasons to put him on the right that I have discussed before. Not going to go into it again. Muziala behind the striker. And on the left, we had Serge Gnabry. So what can I say about this lineup? Well, I'm going to say that I, I think it was a genuinely good lineup. And this is the lineup that I want to see against Manchester City with maybe a small tweak, maybe Kim Min Jae instead of Pavard because Pavard is on his way out. But other than that, I'm going to say that this is very close, like unless something major changes in the coming days. I think this is an example of what the lineup is going to be like on the two-pole going forward, which is a good sign because it means that he's dedicated to actually going back to basics, back four, four two three one, dual pivot and all that stuff. The most interesting thing about this is, in my opinion, it shows some of the players that have to close trust. It shows that Kimmich remains our main guy in midfield and he remains our defensive midfield and, and not going forward as someone like a ball carrier would. That's very obvious, even in the game against a team like Rotak Egern, where it was kind of just goal, 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 goal. You could still see the very obvious shape of a very basic 4 2 3 1 available there. Davies and Masraoui, they played as their standard wing, winger, wingback role that you would expect from any Bayern Munich team. They did not really play as inverted wingers that we saw under Nagelsmann that we have got kind of gotten used to over the last year or so. So I guess Tuchel is simplifying in that regard. I wanted to ask if uh, by what your observations were on the midfield uh, lineup, do you think Kimish and uh, Limer acted more of a dual pivot and yeah, both of uh, them took defensive duties and also went forward with the ball? Well, I would say that the way it looked, okay, it was more like, it was a dual pivot, but it was more like the dual pivot we got used to under someone like Hansi Flick, where Limer was often driving forward with the ball and Kimmich was the guy controlling the tempo, you know? You know that type of pivot, right? So it's more like yes. the roles were very defined and Kimmich was a deep-lying playmaker, in my opinion. And he wasn't really... You know, he wasn't really getting as far forward as he would expect in a person like Kimmich 
if he was transitioning to the number eight spot, like we have been told throughout the summer, that's not that wasn't apparent even in the game against Rotak Egon, where we were very much on the front foot for the entire game. Like I doubt Rotak Egon even crossed the halfway line more than twice in the first half, where we scored eighteen goals. So yeah, do you think that uh, Conrad Limer could take more of a defensive midfielder role against a better opposition? Because I th- I thought you that know... was the main it, reason it, behind it would signing depend. a player of this caliber. It would depend on what sort of defensive midfielder you want him to be. Because I don't think Conrad Limer is, what do you say? He's he's not a Javi Martinez type. You know, he's not a destroyer. He's not going to stop attacks that way. But Isn't his profile like, more like an Angola Kante type? Yeah, exactly. I was just going to mention him. I think he's going to be like yeah. an Angola Kante type. And in fact, I I just see him in the same role that Goretzka played for us in the treble year, if you remember, which is just a very solid box to box, a physical box to box. Which, like, it, it's it's very strange to me that we had Goretzka and we decided to go out and get Limer. But maybe this could be the competition that Goretzka needs in order to get to the level that he has not achieved in the last few months. That being said, Goretzka, um, he has some issues because he was in the second lineup. Right. And he was again in midfield. He didn't really excel at anything. And I'll again say that this is part of part of the thing that makes the Rotak Egan game interesting is because the second team kind of shows which players are not really in Tuchel's plans, you know, because the second lineup was pretty much an afterthought compared to the first. It was just whoever was left over was sent out there and told just do whatever they can. You know, that's what ended up with. Sabitz scoring five goals or something because he wasn't really given any kind of defined midfield role. So he just went full fox in the box and decided to score, 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 score. Um, Rafael, there were there, the... there were some players. I'll just say that some players did seem to have a role, but those are players that had very simple roles, like Chupa Moting. He was the striker. Strikers gonna strike, you know. It's not a it's not a complicated thing. Uh, Kingsley Coman did his yep. usual thing. Rafael Guerrero was actually pretty impressive the way he was cutting back and constantly, you know, getting past the defense. But then again, he's already injured, so. Let's re- revisit the Guerrero talk in about two months when he's back from injury, okay? <laughs> As is always the case with the yes. players. Um, was also uh, gone, talking so, about, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking about Zabitzer, wasn't that mm-hmm. very similar to the role he's already played at Leipzig, for example? Yes, where it was. He's, where he was allowed to be a very free-roaming number eight slash number 10 who, you know, drives into the box late and, you know, cuts in, scores those screamers from outside the box. And well, pretty much what I was is, excited to see him do here. But the uh, thing is, out to be I so. think that was just Sabitz doing his own thing. Because the first half, I told you, we had a very defined shape and a very defined game plan. Second half, none of that was apparent. The players were just doing whatever. You had Sadio Mane stinking up the whole pitch because he just could not buy a goal no matter oh, yeah. what he did. He was everywhere. Oh my goodness. Okay, so then you had Goretzka kind of just sort of standing in the middle of the pitch like a tree, not really doing much. You had Gravenberg showing <laughs> off some of his wow. silky smooth skills and stuff. But the thing is that without a defined role and defined formation and defined setup, all the players out there just looked a little bit superfluous. And the reason that they scored so many goals after the 
first half is the reason, simple reason is the fact that Rotak Egon is our ninth division team and they simply cannot hold a candle to even one of these guys, let alone all of these guys combined. Right. That is the reason why Sabitzer ended up getting this many goals and we ended up winning 27 No, It's not, it's nothing to do with the formation or the tactics Tuchel set out. So because of that, I just feel that like Tuchel is not really going with any kind of plan B here. It's not really any anything in the sense that it's not going to be some kind of unless we see something completely different against Manchester City. This might be it. This might be his very basic setup is going to be a 4-2-3-1 with certain players at certain positions being backups for others. Like, for example, Chupomoting being the backup to Harry Kane or Kingsley Coman being one of the winger backups or one of the winger starters in case the wingers are injured because Coman is Coman, you know, and same thing goes for Jamal Muziala maybe being on the wing or maybe being in the middle if Thomas Muller is injured, that kind of thing, you know? Yes. The reason, um, that's also, think. that's also, that. wait, just a second. I, that also, it just kind of, it also goes back to what I said about Thomas Muller in the first half of the podcast, which is that I don't think Thomas Muller, like, I think that Thomas Muller was going to be in the first half of the game and in the starting 11, you know, because that setup seemed like a setup made for him. Whereas in the second half, the setup was not something that he could have slotted into. It was just a complete afterthought. So there was no way that Tuchel would have actually used Thomas Muller in that way. That's why, that's another reason why I think Thomas Muller is not on his way out the door just yet. You know, I think Tuchel has a little bit more sense than that. This might be my famous last words or something, but you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if that truly is the case, then it's possible that he could have just avoided saying anything to the media as opposed to openly admitting that he might yeah, be looking fair. for a way to ease Thomas Miller out of the lineup, which is kind of silly. Um, any, anyways, I I think, uh, I mean, it, it's quite possible that the second lineup or the lineup that we saw in the second half could well be the an inclusion of all the players that we think might be substitutes or might take uh, lesser roles either on the bench or as in-game substitutions or... Some of the players could also be on their way out. Yes. And uh, I think we also have to talk about some recent developments that have been going on yeah, as we literally, speak. Uh, literally in the nine-minute break between Zoom meetings that we used to record podcasts. Yeah, um, I guess the one that you really want to talk about since this this is your baby, this this guy is the guy you wanted here. Savitzer to Borussia Dortmund, what do you think? I think that uh, since we saw just a few minutes ago that talks are in advanced stages and that it's very likely that they signed him. It's sad, but I think he's going to leave and I think Bayern are going to part ways. They signed him for a low fee. I think they might be able to recoup most of that, if not all of the money. And Zabitzer is still a player of extremely high quality. Now that Bellingham has left Dortmund, he's basically their best midfielder. So it is a great signing for them obviously. And it's just sad that we couldn't see his time at Bayern come to full fruition, especially because he did not get a lot of minutes. There was not a lot of rotation done. And I think Zabitzer did a very good job whenever he was called upon. Like he was very solid, especially the previous, the most recent season. And I expected better from him. I expected greater things. But that's the thing. If you don't establish a rhythm and if you're not able to play consistently, it's kind of difficult to do that. And I believe he'll be a really good addition to Dortmund's roster. Uh, I think the same, but the thing about Sabitzer is that he was decent in his second season, but never quite 
that good to justify putting him in the lineup instead of Leon Goretzka. Was Goretzka right? that good? Yes, I think he genuinely was. Like, he was better than Sabitzer. I know that a lot of people are on Goretzka's case right now. And yes, he has not been good in the most recent games. But, but up until Nagelsmann was sacked, Goretzka was doing just fine. Okay, so I think the problem is a lot less with Goretzka and a lot more with Tuchel and his tactics, because the way he's using Lima right now is not it's not anything that Goretzka couldn't theoretically do. So Tuchel may be frustrated with Goretzka, but given all the rumors right now that Bayern Munich are willing to put Goretzka on the market and want to sell him as soon as possible if he wants to go. I think that, again, I, I've said this before, but I think that's a mistake. And I think that Goretzka is still someone who can very much contribute to this team in spite of Tuchel not liking him, because there is nothing fundamentally wrong with the Kimmich Goretzka pivot, in my opinion. Like, it's something that we have seen that we know that it works, and there is no reason that it couldn't work again if Goretzka just rediscovers a little bit of his form and if the coach gives him a proper, sensible role that he has not had in a little while. I, I agree with uh, Goretzka's fail. Like, it just shouldn't happen. It doesn't make any sense at this point, especially because... Number one, he forms a really amazing partnership with Kimmich when he is fit. And they are also a core of the German national team. So you have two guys who are essentially going to be playing with each other for at least the next five, seven years. So yeah, and you know the Flick, that core. Flick, Flick really needs the help too. So Yes, yes. So The thing is... It, I mean, if... Uh, there's yeah. obviously Uli's vision that uh, there would be a, this D-Mannschaft Bayern Munich cooperation and that a lot of the youngsters who play for German national team would also feature in Bayern Munich. And if you have all of those ambitions, if you want to keep the core intact, it just wouldn't make sense to disrupt the entirety of the core simply because the manager wants some shiny new pieces from England. That's fair. The thing is that we are technically not getting the man manager any shiny new pieces from England as far as the midfield is concerned right now. There have been no further links to Calvin Phillips as far as I know and no other defensive midfielders have been linked. So I think that our midfield purchases, I don't think we're going to sign anyone anymore. We're going to let Sabitzer leave. But if we do lead, let Sabitzer leave, and I'm very much in favor of letting Sabitzer leave, by the way, because of the certain comments that he made when he was on loan at Man United... As long as he leaves, then mm. we will end up with only Kimmich, Goretzka, Leimer, and Gravenberg as our midfielders. Is that really enough? I think that's good enough depth. I don't think that's too little. I don't think that's too much. Manchester City, for example, have enough midfielders to fill a roster of 11 players. We don't need that many midfielders. Four midfielders is a very healthy rotation. And if... Uh, Tuchel sticks to the two midfielder lineup and doesn't mess up with the structure and play all three midfielders simultaneously, it should be enough depth. That being mm -hmm. said, we know, however, that Goretzka has been injury-prone lately. And uh, I think someone from Bavarian Football Works, I think it was Philip Quinn, mentioned once that Goretzka had missed, prior to last season, 50% of all the games he could have potentially played. For okay, I, I, I think uh, that's, I think that's, you're misremembering because I don't think that's, no, 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 in 2011, right. no, no, 2021-22, not, 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 I, I don't mean okay. like his career at Bayern. I mean like okay. one single season and 2022-23, I'm not sure of the stats, but I think he did have an injury stint and he does have some fitness concerns in terms of the frequency with which he's getting injured. But take no, that takes nothing away from how indispensable he is for Bayern Munich when he's fit. So, Right now, I would say that's a healthy crop of uh, midfielders, and we probably don't need more. But that being said, 
I also think Bayern might be willing to loan Gravenberg out, so I'm not very optimistic in terms of the midfield well, depth overall. I, I've suggested this before. How do you feel about Matthias Delict as a defensive midfielder? Um, how about no? <laughs> Why not? This is this is a great idea. Because because we need him at centre back. Simple as. Do we? We have him in Jay and Upamecano. Not Upamecano, please. What please. What's wrong with Upamecano? God. Can we look? He made about, he made uh, a mistake against Man City, okay? But that's it. Like before that, we were literally talking about Upamecano and Delic together as the best centre back duo in Europe, and that doesn't. Okay, so the point in my opinion, have doesn't change. Is, I, the point I have here is, uh, if we move Delic to a defensive midfield role, yeah. that simply means Upamecano has less competition, and I believe competition enables Upamecano to step his game up a notch. Does it? He was he's. He, his his whole fire, I think, started last season when both Luca Hernandez and Delict were also in the mix, you know, to take the spot off his hands. And that's when he started performing. If you remember that that phase, you know, the Barcelona game when he kept a clean sheet and he basically pocketed every attacker they had and the Inter Milan games as well. That's when but, his stint started and then he started playing but really I would well argue, after that. I would argue, but during that time, he didn't actually have that much competition because Lucas was the surefire starter over Delict because that was back when Delict was still struggling with his Juventus-related fitness issues. And then later, Lucas got injured and basically spent the rest of the season injured. So that's when Delict came in and Upamecano didn't really have any competition. That doesn't mean that Upamecano's performances really dropped. I don't think they did. I think that he just had think... a couple of bad games. That's it. Wasn't there a phase? Wasn't there a phase when Luca Hernandez and Delict started together with the central? Not really. Defense? I don't think we ever had a there situation was, where right? they had they consistently benched Juba. I don't think there was. No, maybe not consistently, but that 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 basically there may have been there point, may have right? been I mean, there may have been like a game or two, but that's just normal I think rotation. Benjamin right? Pavard was also in the rotation yeah. at centre back, but now that we think he's effectively gone. We'll only have two centre-backs, right, if we move Delict to defensive midfield. I think we need three defenders up there. Mm-hmm. That's the that's fair. That's fair, I think. And it's, I keep suggesting this. You know, I have been suggesting Delict as a defensive midfielder since he was at Juventus. And people have laughed at me. But I believe that I will have the last laugh. Either that or I will be called an idiot again. But it happens, you know. The thing is, tell Honestly, me. I think... Conrad Leimer can be a fantastic defensive midfielder, but not just that. I think Usual Kimmich is very capable of yes, being a world-class defensive midfielder. The only problem is, I don't he think doesn't want he to be. has his mind set on defending yeah. that much. Yeah, If exactly. you remember, you keep bringing up the game against Liverpool, the first leg, when Bayern managed to keep a clean sheet against them mm-hmm. in the 2019 season, right? That, that game, uh, Kimmich alone pocketed Mane and Firmino. And he did it so well. He yeah. ensured that Monday was a non-factor the entire game. And if Kimish sets his mind to defending, he can be a real pain in the opposition's backside. Yeah. And he simply doesn't seem to want to do it as much. If he really put in the effort, I think he could be one of the best. Yes, I, I agree. Because I think Kimmich can genuinely do anything on the football pitch, you know? The only thing that's holding him back is the fact that he's not um something like six and a half feet tall. Otherwise, he would probably be a striker. It's it's kind of that kind of yeah. player. He he has all the qualities he needs. He has the intelligence. He has a decent amount of pace in him. I've seen him accelerate quite rapidly at, at certain times over short distances. His ball control, his ability to pay, play out of the press, his passing, all of that is just top quality. And he has the killer instinct in front of goal as well. He's scored and assisted so many top goals for us in 
oh, throughout the years, really. So Kimmich, all that holds him back is what he wants to do with himself. When he was a right back, he always wanted to go forward. And that's why people thought that he couldn't defend. The Liverpool game proved that he can defend. The same thing is happening now in midfield, where he always wants to be the guy in the action. But if he stays back a little bit, it would just help Bayern that much more. I hope that he embraces that role. Maybe Tuchel can talk some sense to into him. But, you know, it's one of those things. Like, let's talk about the Man City game. Because the Man City game that's coming up, okay, on Wednesday, that is, in my opinion, going to be important for us to understand what Tuchel is really planning. If he shows us a completely different lineup to what we saw against Rotak Egern, then we can understand that, yes, okay, he's planning something completely different. We can throw all our assumptions out the window. But if he shows us something I similar... See, yeah, I want to see so, what your reaction would be if he starts a three at the back. If he starts a three at the back, I'm going to scream like a chimpanzee, okay? Because, <laughs> because, because look, if it's a three at the back, like, how can, how many times do I have to say that the three at the back is horrible? Like, it cannot get worse. I suspect. I suspect that the three at the back is what also is... ties in with his ambitions to bench Miller yes. because then it's yes. like five defenders, yes. two midfielders, two wingers, yes. and a striker. And yes. you don't have a space for an attacking midfielder. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what Nagelsmann tried as well, if if you will recall. It they, never works. Um... It never works. It it will never work. Okay? It's not going to work. It is it, it... I, I cannot stress this enough. Okay, the three at the back you're, you're is, 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 is 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 it is dead on arrival. Okay, if we see a three at the back against Manchester City, just 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 throw just leave Tuchel in Japan. Okay, just don't bring him back. Okay, just, 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 okay, it's it's like, like why would you do that? Pretend we, we yeah, pretend they forgot. Yeah, yeah, just just forget about him. It's, I don't know. Send him to an anime convention or something. I, it, don't don't bring him back if he plays a three at the back. What I want to see against Manchester City is a simple four-two-three-one with a striker. Hopefully, Matty Tell. It has to be Matty Tell, right? Because Cooper's injured and Harry Kane is still at Tottenham. Yes. Imagine he yeah. plays Thomas Muller. Uh, it can't Thomas be Thomas Muller, yeah, because he's injured. It can't be. He's out, yeah. yes. But, but yes. I mean, I hope he doesn't get any ideas to play Thomas Muller at striker eventually. That being oh, said, boy. Uh, you'd also easily choose to bench Matthew Tell and start Gnabry up front along with no, uh, this, you know, this six would, of Mane this would, and Coman or whatever. This would be a several, several cell phones. I don't think Mane is going to start. He's in talks with Al Nasser or Al something. I, he's, he's in talks. He can talk to some <laughs> Saudi team that whose name begins with Al. Right. And we're not going to yes. start him because we're not going to jeopardize him by having some Manchester City player that who sees one game every two years come in and do a slight tackle into Mane's knee. Right. So <laughs> the thing is, against Man City, what do you want to see? Because I want to see a 4-2-3-1 simple solid formation with pretty much the exact same lineup that we saw against Rotak Eger, plus maybe Kim Min Jae if he is fit. What about you? What I want to see is what Tuchel has been planning for the new season. Because mm-hmm. if he messes up, he can be punished for it and he can learn from it. There's a chance that he sees the wrongs and he corrects them before it's too late. What I don't think, think Pep is going to start his first choice lineup against yeah. Bayern. It's probably... I mean, even a second-choice lineup could be very, very good quality. Like, mm-hmm. Nathan Ake is a substitute. Manuel Akanji is a substitute. So, I'm not even... Akanji is I a mean, substitute? City's quality is miles different. Ake is a substitute, yes. Okay. Amazing. I mean, the thing they is... They have Ruben Diaz and Josko Guardiol now. Uh Oh, yeah. The Guardi... Guardi- 
why am I saying it like that? The Guardiola transfer went through already. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the thing so, about the thing you said is that you think you think that Tuchel will learn his lesson, but what makes you think that Tuchel will learn his lesson from a friendly in preseason when he did not learn his lesson from the very bad thrashing that we got against Manchester City at the Etihad last season? Like you know, it it strikes me that Tuchel is a very stubborn guy. I I agree. I think Tuchel is very stubborn. I think that he has shown a tendency to not learn from his mistakes. But I just think if your job is on the line, you can change. Is his job on the line? And I think we keep we keep joking. His that job is very much on the line. We keep joking that he's no, going to be gone think, by October. But like, no, I he... believe that if he doesn't get the results, he could well be gone by October. He's not, okay. you know, untouchable at this point. Yeah. I think okay. who would he you really get? Needs to prove himself. Who would you get? Uh, in... That's a good question. Xavier Alonso. If I could get anyone, Nagelsmann. If I could get anyone, it would be Jurgen Klopp. But obviously, that's not happening. Uh, if I had to get someone who is available, probably get Nagelsmann back, but that's also not happening. Of We've course, that of bridge. course, of course. So, so wants to do the same probably, thing over and over again for the rest of his life. I mean, I mean, we almost won a treble, but we're never going to know if we actually did because almost won a treble. We, we, we won zero trophies until Nagelsmann last season. Technically, that's uh, because we did not see trophy. the entirety of the season. Yeah, but we didn't see the see the see it till the end, right? Well, 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 under that logic, even Niko Kovac almost won the treble. He was still in three competitions when he was sacked. There was a good reason for him being fired <laughs> because Bayern did embarrassingly badly. They were they were nothing short of disastrous. Yeah, but they Nagelsmann were also was still unbeaten, one point unbeaten from the top in of the, the Champions League. Okay, look, man, I'm but I'm, not I'm, done I'm, yet. I'm, I'm I'm obviously I'm, not, I'm, not I'm, I'm, I'm obviously trolling you. Come on. <laughs> okay, um, you can never be sure with you. You you hate Nagelsmann, so you can never be sure. I don't hate Nagelsmann. Okay, I am simply, uh, I I simply want you Pankis to coach us again. Okay, simple. As no, that. that's not happening. What do you mean that's not happening? <laughs> he almost... was at he was at the Allianz Arena today. Okay. No, I I get the impression that Yup is so done with Bayern, and he really won't pick up any calls from. He was the board literally at the Allianz Arena today. He was there in person. For... For a testi- testimonial, not for yeah, so? an actual. So that means role he, he does. He does. Not... He does pick up the. He does pick up the phone. So just just invite him to the Allianz Arena for a testimonial, and then lock him in the stadium. You know, and say <laughs> say that okay. you have to now. You have to coach the team. Okay, you, you make sure that he can't leave. Get get him. I don't know. Get him a puppy or something. <laughs> it's it's manipulative, think, uh, but 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 we have to be cutthroat in this business. Yeah, yeah, I think we can be in agreement that that would basically solve all problems. Like I yeah, wouldn't even would... worry about the Kane exactly. Transfer. Exactly, we can probably still do really well without Kane if you yeah. keep coaching the team. I mean, that's exactly. how much I trust that guy. But we all know that that's too much wishful thinking. So we have to do you know whatever we can under Tuchel's uh, management and leadership. Until October, I don't know. Maybe salvage a Bundesliga title if you're lucky, and then have him fired by the end of the season. The thing is that we could we could still win a treble in the Super. It's completely possible if we sign Harry Kane. Yeah, if we sign Harry Kane, and if he doesn't uh, ease out Thomas Müller. (laughs) I I maintain that the easing out of Thomas Müller is going to end in failure, and Thomas Müller will be right back in the lineup where he was. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I was. I was. I'm just wondering if uh, Tuchel is trying to recapitulate what he did at Chelsea, and you know, bring all of the philosophies that worked for him in that Champions League treble, in that Champions League run. You know, having a back five and having you know three 
three three attackers up we front. Are... One of them being Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz, who you know was was was, who is was really who's really who's who really position. who is already who is causing Arsenal position. fans a lot of anguish already. So heartbreak, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is that just I guess we are in agreement that we want to see something, uh, some indication from Tuchel that he is not going to completely sink our season next year. Um, yes. And that's what we want to see in the Man City game. Tell me, do you think we'll beat Man City? I know it doesn't matter, but because, do you think we'll beat them? Because it's a friendly and because I don't think Guardiola cares, I think we'll get a draw. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to say that we're going to lose going to lose 7-0. Wow. Yeah. Do you think Erling Haaland is going to start? Because then that yeah, might sure. make sense. Yeah, he, he started the last friendly wow. against us. Remember last oh, year? Oh man. Oh man, that was oh his man. first. That was his first yeah, game for Manchester City, and he scored yeah. against us. A very I honestly cannot game, wait for Kim Min Jae to start for Bayern yes. already. Yes, I just want some top-notch defensive depth, some yes. good defending, yeah. and a player who can step it up when the stakes are high. Yeah, and, it's very annoying that stakes. both Thomas Muller and Matthias Delict are not on the Asia tour. They're both, you know. Still at oh, the wow. start Wait, like I didn't know Delict wasn't uh, fit. Is Delict is De- is, is Delict he... fit now? Because he was at the, he was he did miss the entire training camp at the Turkey. That doesn't sound good. Okay, in that case, it, I revoke my statement and I think Manchester City are going to <laughs> win. Maybe <laughs> not seven nil. Maybe not seven okay. nil, but like three zero. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. I think that we have spoken enough about everything about Harry King for what this is the. Sixth or seventh week running or something. podcast. So, <laughs> yes. Okay. So I don't even know. Everyone, yeah. thank you for listening to Bavarian Podcast Works, soon to be renamed to Bavarian Cane Works, because why not? Um, this was I Need No Name and Schnitzel. Again, you can find us on Twitter at if it is still called Twitter by the time this podcast comes out, because who knows what Elon Musk is doing. You can find us there at Bavarian FB Works. You can find us on the blog and all our coverage is right there. You can find the rest of us on Twitter at our personal accounts, which I do not remember the handles of. And that's pretty much it for me and Schnitzel. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Let us know what you think about the game against Man City. Expect a post-game review of the City game where you might even hear a few new voices because we are trying to give more people a chance to record this preseason time. So thank you for listening and good night.